0: Hello, people of the way, blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Deuteronomy chapter 29, Deuteronomy 29. Uh, We continue our study and remember Moses, he's giving this discourse to the next generation that's going to pass into the promised land. And we start here in verse 29. says in verse 1, Deuteronomy 29, these are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab. Remember, this is in Moab. There's no crossing yet. This is for the generation that's going to going to pass into the promised land. Uh, 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 he says, beside the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. Now, if you're Jewish and you're listening, I love you, I love you, I love you. Understand, I've spoken with a lot of Jews, and even recently— and there is uh, hesitation, consternation. There is um, hesitation even in ha- having having a spiritual and uh, scriptural discussions with Christians. Because, you know, if you're Jewish and you have a mindset that Christians are crazy, I'm with you. Christians are straight up crazy. It's one of the signs of the last days where uh, the church will enter crazy town. It's one of the signs of the last days. <clears throat> and so, understand if you're Jewish... I love you. In me, you have a friend. Now, we have Horeb here. Now, Horeb has incredibly great significance, but don't forget Moab. (coughs) Excuse me. Don't forget Moab. It's very important that this covenant, which is made with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, we see this in verse 2. Now Moses called all Israel and said to them, you have seen all the you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt. Now, remember, in this generation that's going to pass into the promised land, you have some older folks who have seen these things with their own eyes. But then, you know, to, to, for them to remember these things, it's that first generation, the older folks who are now dead. They died uh, in the wilderness. The 11 day journey became 40 years in response to disobedience. Remember, the Lord told the children of Israel, when we look at numbers, it was, you know, count the, the the it was a census of Israel and it was to count the people able to go to war. So they had the, the capability of going to war. But when the Lord says, OK, go to Canaan because of fear. Remember, the recon team went out and they came back and, you know, uh, except for two, Caleb and Joshua. Everybody was afraid, this recon team, and they come back and report, these guys are huge, the Canaanites are huge, and the fear that they had, not the fear of the Lord, but the fear of the Canaanites, it became endemic and spread to the camp, and they said, okay, we're not going to go, and as a result, remember, the Lord is reactionary, the Lord is reactionary, he is reactionary, he responds to obedience, to disobedience, to wickedness, to righteousness, and beautifully to repentance, And so we see that first generation, that 11-day journey became 40 years, and there was death that happened among the first generation. Now, even Moses, because Moses, you know, he's not going to pass into the promised land. You know, don't forget the transfiguration. Never forget the transfiguration. But in the flesh, Moses will not pass into the promised land. Okay, it's very important to understand these things, what the Bible teaches, what the Bible instructs, because You know, we study, but then at the same time, you know, it, 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 it becomes real because we study the scripture understanding that the word of God is spiritually discerned. We don't read the, read the Bible and study the Bible as literature. Understand that the word of God is spiritually discerned. And so when we look at that first generation that dies in the wilderness, even so, the Christian, cannot pass into the promised land. And I speak of paradise. You know, I I shouldn't say the Christian. A person in Adam, born into Adam, cannot pass into the promised land, into paradise. There has to be death. That's death of the of Adam. That's death of being born into Adam, which is why the Lord speaks of being born again. Remember he said it to the Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus? Unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember? These are things that we reference from time to time. Unless a man be born again, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a, 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 a person of the law. And he says, how is this How is this possible? How is this accomplished? How can a man enter the womb and then you know, be born again? And Jesus was kind of, you know, took him to task. He says, you know, you're, you call yourself a teacher and yet you do not know? You see, and so we understand that this first generation, you know, they they have they've died in the wilderness. And then this second generation, the younger generation that's going to pass into the promised land, even from them, maybe in in Egypt, they were kids, they were children. And so now they've grown up and Moses is telling them in verse two, you've seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. The great trials in verse 3, the great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great wonders. Now, this includes now the younger generation because this 40 years in the wilderness, you know, they were still having babies. They were still having babies. And now, you know, if there's a freshly born baby and, you know, week one in the wilderness, they didn't see Egypt with their eyes. But yet in that 40 years, they saw a lot of things with their eyes. And I love in verse 2 and 3, you see the inclusion of the entirety of this second generation, the things that they've seen with their eyes, the handiwork of the Lord. In verse 4 says, Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive or understand is how it translates. The Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. Now this presents a conundrum. How is it? How is it that the people don't have this understanding with eyes to see and ears to hear? Understand that this perception, this beholding, this understanding of the Lord, its I don't want to say it's a procedure, but I, I just don't have any other words for it. But there are procedural aspects to this very truth. Through the law, remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But at the same time, we understand that going through the motions ain't going to cut it. Going through the motions, Old Testament, New Testament, and even today ain't going to cut it. I'll give you an example. Say, you and me. We're in the camp of Israel. Now I'm not Jewish. I'm a Gentile. But say, in accordance to statutes that are written in the law, I'm grafted in. And you know, say you're not Jewish either. I mean, if you're Jewish, you know you're in a, in a you know a, a, in the camp of Israel, but a tribe. But say you're listening and you're not Jewish. Now because of your belief, both you and me were grafted in. Remember provisions in the law for grafting in of foreigners, Gentiles. Now if you're Jewish, you're already in the camp. So give you an example we're in the camp of israel we go back in time our time machine precede before the seed remember our study in galatians now we're before the seed we're here deuteronomy 29 and we hear moses say that but yet we reflect back on certain things that happened in our camp we reflect back on certain things in our camp that happened bad things now to give an example, now remember, there's provisions in the law. The, the The whole purpose of these rules is for people to be right with the Lord. It's not rules for the sake of rules. It's rules for the sake of regulations, statutes, law, commandment. It's for people to be right with the Lord. Remember, we see like wow, there's a lot of animals. Remember, in in in, in our study in Exodus, like wow, there's a lot of animals. And they keep the animals, you know, they keep, uh, uh, they breed the animals and, you know, certain processes for breeding animals. It's like, whoa, this is a lot of animals. You know why? There's a lot of sin, a lot of blood. Remember, the, the Ten Commandments was given three times. The first time, verbally, orally. The second time, two tablets. And then there was the golden calf, the two tablets destroyed. And then at the same time, we see the second set of two tablets, which is the Ten Commandments given the second time on two tablets, but then understand that that third time was not without blood. Not without blood. First time, verbally, rejected. Second time, two tablets, rejected. as By the people's actions. I mean, straight up golden calf. Third time, it was accepted, but not without blood. That's when you see the the included in the Ten Commandments given the third time is now you see sacrifice. Then you start to realize whoa, that's why there's a lot of animals in the camp of Israel. You know, among other reasons too, but you know that that's that's a biggie. And so at the same time, we study these things and we see, remember, we've gone back in our time machine, we're in the camp of Israel. And say for the things that we've witnessed, the good, the bad, the ugly. Now, say for example. There's in a tent, in a tent, there is an egregious sin committed within the family. Say it's a guy who did something terrible or a gal who did something terrible. And uh, the father figure, the patriarch of that family has a biblical responsibility to make sure his home is right with the Lord. And depending on the sin, there is atonement that needs to happen. And so a dad can, you know, say the son did something crazy, like wild, like an egregious sin. Now, the dad would have a responsibility to to, to raise his son up, to train him up, and also to discipline his child. Now, say the son is like 15 years old. The responsibility is still on the dad. And so the dad would, you know, get, make sure his kid is right, you know, and, you know, and take you know, his kid and to, to, to atone for that sin. There would have to be a sacrifice, sacrifice made, an offering unto the Lord. And remember, it's not it's not for the sake of sacrifice. It's for the sake of being right with the Lord, for, for that home to be blessed of the Lord, for that sin of the son to be atoned for. And for, you know, it's just so everything can be clean before the Lord. And so they, the dad tells the son, okay, son, you know, go, go get, go get a, 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 a lamb from the flock. We're going to offer to the Lord. And everything is done in accordance to the, to, to the statutes of the law. Everything is done perfectly. The, the priest now, enter the priest. Now, the priest has responsibility. It's not just, you know, it's not like, you know, a guy's going to wear the priestly garment so he can have accolades of men. You know, th- this is, there's what's happening inside the heart of the son, the dad, you know, all the other family too. But I mean, the son, the dad, the priest, certain things happen inside each one. The son feels the shame of guilt. I mean, if if he didn't fess up, you know, his if his dad found out about it, they could stone him in accordance to the law. I mean, d- depending on the type of sin, but in accordance to the law, that's what would happen. And so you see in the son, something's happening in his heart. In the dad, something's happening in the heart. In the priest, something's happening in the heart. But it isn't surface level. Now that's one tent. But say in another tent, the exact same thing happens, and the exact same thing happens, and the dad says, "Well, son, no big deal. You know, go get and pick a lamb. You know, any lamb. You know, I know this is better, but don't don't choose the good one because you know it, 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 it. You know that's our prized possession. Go ahead and choose the mangy one. But the law, remember, the law says nothing mangy. No mangy offering to the Lord. And so with carnal eyes." We see these two events happening in two tents. Very similar situation. Sons commit an egregious sin. The dads, you know, do their duty. And then they go to the priest. Now, we're looking at it with carnal eyes. And we see exactly the same thing. Except one tent. They're just going through the motions. With carnal eyes, we see exactly the same thing. Remember, the Lord looks at the heart. He knows. He knows one tent, you know, this is a mangy offering. He knows, you know, in in one tent, not only is this a mangy offering, but, you know, the the kid's heart isn't right. The dad's heart isn't right. The brothers are doing the exact same thing. and The brothers are going to keep doing the exact same thing because they haven't learned the fear of the Lord. And the Lord sees that. But you and me with carnal eyes, everything looks the same. The two tents, everything looks like, oh wow, look there. Now everything's right with the Lord. They've done their, 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 both tents are right with the Lord. That's with carnal eyes. But with spiritual eyes, are both tents, both tents right with the Lord? No, only one tent is. You see, because in one tent, the kid feels the guilt. The dad feels the guilt. The brothers, the sisters, they all feel the guilt and they, they learn the fear of the Lord where the dad says, look, you know, you know, you know, praise the Lord that we're, that we're doing this now and that we're nipping in this butt now. Because if we did it, we would stone you, son. I love you, but you know, I love the Lord better. I love the Lord more. And in accordance with the law, you know, if you didn't fess up, if we didn't atone and we didn't do this, we would have to stone you. And so in that tent, they learn the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. And in the course of time, you know, that tent, they, they the kids grow up, they have their kids, and they pass on to each generation. They have kids and they pass on to those kids. They have kids and then they pass on to those kids. And that lineage, that not just the knowledge of the Lord, but the fear of the Lord. And how beautiful it is. Now, when we say that, you know, it's like procedural, I don't like saying procedural, but you can see how the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. How it leads to deeper things. Because in the fear of the Lord, one learns to trust in the Lord. And in trusting in the Lord, one learns to not just trust in the Lord, but then fall in love with the Lord, deeper and deeper in love with the Lord. But then at the same time, there's another little aspect. And that is to have hope in the Lord. And these are things that we see, not with everybody. These are things that we see within a remnant in the Old Testament and even the New Testament. You see it within a remnant. On the majority, you don't see that. Because the Lord knows, you know, it's, it's not just going through the motions. Remember, with carnal eyes, we see two tents, very similar situation. With carnal eyes, we see almost the exact same thing. But it's not the exact same thing because the Lord looks deeper. He looks at the heart. And so we look at verse 4. The Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day because encapsulated in the law is this very process, learning the fear of the Lord. And what what is the aftermath of learning the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom? And You don't see this with everybody. I mean, you, you hear us make mention from time to time, Make, making the distinction and the juxtaposition of Hannah and Eli. You see? Of uh, 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 Ruth. You see? Ruth and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. The minor prophets you get into, like Hosea. Remember Amos, he says, I'm no prophet nor the son of the prophet. I'm no prophet nor a son of a prophet. That's what Amos says. You know, surprise Amos, the Lord says you're a prophet. And it's so powerful because it's like, wow, the law of the Lord in the heart of Amos. Amos learned the fear of the Lord and he loves the Lord. He has the fear of the Lord. He loves the Lord. He trusts in the Lord and he has Hope in the Lord. And this is all through the law. It's not at at the onset, okay, boom, everybody has eyes to see and ears to hear. No, these are things that come in time through obedience. And I'm not advocating the law. But through obedience, these things are learned. And then we see examples in the Old Testament and even New Testament of what happens when the lord becomes forgotten it's not a pretty picture it's not about going through the motions yeah you know i, I give this old testament example of like you know you and me we go in a time machine and we see these things but we we don't have to go in a time machine we see it today. you, you see people going to church people go to church you see you know a guy going through the motions Goes in, sits down, stands up when, you know, the, the, the preacher guy comes in, says, okay, everybody's standing, you know, they stand and whatever happened, you know, he sits down, you know, doesn't even open his Bible, falls asleep, checking his watch, looking at his phone, playing games on his phone, doing all kinds of different things, going through the motions. But then you see people just intently, almost like at the edge of their seat, intently listening. You see it. Now, with spiritual eyes, it's like, wow, what are the conditions of those hearts? You see people that are going through the motions, and then you see people that are like on the edge of their seats listening to the Word of God being taught. Now, remember, you know, if you've been walking with us for a while and been listening for a while, now the formula's got to be right. It's not, you know, intently listening to the grave intently listening to the ones who teach replacement theology. Not intently listening to the ones who say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. The formula is right. And when the formula is right, you see it. I mean, you you see it when the formula is wrong too, but I'm not saying, you know, uh, making an excuse to, okay, go ahead and go to these churches. Go ahead and go to these fellowships where sound doctrine is not being taught. Sound doctrine must be taught. But yet you see it. You see people paying attention intently listening you see people like on the edge of their seat like you know it's almost like they're they're at a sport event they're at the you know they're at the edge of the seat and they're just like listening at their bible open you know following along maybe taking notes and you see it. it's like wow this person's intently listening young old male female it doesn't matter you see it but then you see the opposite of people just like off in la la land falling asleep never open the bible on the phone, you know, playing video games, doing work, excusing themselves so they can make a phone call. You see it. Old Testament, New Testament, even today you see it. And if that's you if 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 you believe in Jesus, but you're going through the motions, that's not good. Don't do that. It's not good. Because the Lord sees the heart. The circumcision, that's what we desire for all of us. And that's what we want, abiding in Christ. The people of the circumcision are remnant of these last days. It's not just, you know, okay, boom, all of Israel, everybody has eyes to see, ears to hear. Because we get into like Isaiah 1, and you see, wow, they don't hear anymore. And you see the Lord in accordance to the Old Testament. Remember, He's reactionary. He responds to obedience, disobedience, wickedness, righteousness. And then the Lord all of a sudden says, listen, these the offerings, the sacrifices, it's pointless. It doesn't serve you any good. Now, wait a second. Did the Lord change his mind? Because we look at the Torah and it's good. But then we look at Isaiah and then all of a sudden the Lord says it's not good. Did the Lord change his mind? No. The people change their heart. Just like we study in Numbers. The Lord says, go into Canaan. And then all of a sudden, same chapter, he says, don't go into Canaan. Did the Lord change his mind? No. The people changed their heart. When the Lord says, go into Canaan, that's applicable to that group of people. But then you see in the course of time, now the people become afraid. Now, it's okay. Don't go into Canaan. Because you're afraid, you're going to lose the fight. Because you're disobedient, you're going to lose the fight. Remember, how many times do you hear us reference formula, formula, formula? It has to be right. You fear the Lord, you honor the Lord, you obey the Lord. Okay, go into Canaan. You have the, with your carnal eyes, you see the size of the Canaanites. These guys are huge. It's like, okay, now we're afraid. And the Lord says, okay, now don't go. Because when you fear the Lord... You honor the Lord, you love the Lord, you obey the Lord. Certain things are effectuated. How many times do you hear us say that in our study in the New Testament? Certain things are effectuated through obedience. You see? Promises of God. Old Testament, New Testament. And, you know, to have eyes to see and ears to hear, this is Gradual. And so we see here in verse five, and I have led you forty years in the wilderness. Remember, it's an eleven-day journey, and it became forty years as a result of their disobedience. Remember, the Lord chastises those whom He loves, and a lot of times Christians, you know, say, "Oh, you know, look out! Look at Israel. They have their eleven-day journey became forty years. You know, that'll never happen to me. Really." Look at how many Christians are in the wilderness, so to speak. Wilderness can be good, the wilderness can be bad. Disobedient, wilderness is bad. Obedient, wilderness is good. I mean, look at Moses. He was in the wilderness. Our Lord Himself was in the wilderness. But then look at Israel in her disobedience in the wilderness wilderness is both good and bad the question is you know what's the condition of your heart are you in the wilderness because of obedience or are you in the wilderness because of disobedience disobedience not good but obedience that's like training ground testing ground preparation for future things i mean moses was in the wilderness and then the lord says okay now go back to egypt you see because he was in the wilderness the, in the good way but it was his training environment learning how to fight spiritually speaking and so we see here in verse 5 and i have led you 40 years in the wilderness your clothes have not worn out your your your, your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandals have not worn out on your feet how beautiful is this that even in chastisement you see the lord caring for israel it's like a parent you know You discipline a child, you spank a child, say, go to your room, you're grounded. You're grounded for a month, but you don't say you're grounded for a month and you're going to starve for a month. No, you're going to go into the room and see a dead kid. No, you're, you know, you're grounded, you know, you get the spanking, you're grounded and, you know, come on, it's time for dinner. Now the kid, you know, the kid might respond one way, but you know, that, that's, that's the kid. He or she is responsible for, you know, he has his own cho- choices to make, he or she. But apparently, you know, chastises, disciplines the kid. You see? Go to your room, you're grounded for a month. Come down at, you know, I don't know, 5 o'clock. Come out at 5 o'clock, dinner, 6, 7, whenever you guys eat. You see? That's, you see that. That's apparent unto the child. How much more our Father in heaven. Yes, as a result of disobedience, the the 11-day journey became 40 years. But even in the 40 years, the clothes didn't wear out. Sandals have not worn out. The Lord is caring for them. The same way He cares for us. You see? He's loving a lot of times you oh I don't like to read the Old Testament. It's too too mean, too judgy. I don't like to read it's like, wait a second. We have to understand the scriptures because yes, they're, they're, we're in the church age right now. There's that the door of grace is open. But God never changes. He never changes his everything is, is in accordance to his word. He says here in verse 6, You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or similar drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Understand that God withholds sometimes. God withholds things from us because it reveals our need for Him. And it's beautiful. I mean, in some cases harsh, but it doesn't have to be harsh. I mean, remember... Last week's study was difficult because it's some very, very painful things. I mean, when we look at the disobedience side in Deuteronomy 28, it's heavy. The disobedience, how the Lord responds to disobedience. But even in disobedience, I remember in Deuteronomy 28, verse 16, Cursed shall you be in the city. Now, yes, it's bad to be cursed in the city. But it's much better to be cursed in the city because it's just in the city. And repentance can happen, being made right before the Lord can happen. And remember, what one reaps, a person, or what what one sows, a person must reap. Understand. It's not like, okay, you know, Lord, forgive me, and everything's back to normal. Lord, forgive me, and everything's back to how it used to be. No, it's Lord forgive me, and you're forgiven by the Lord, but then at the same time, now you have to reap what you have sown. A lot of times people forget that part. Oh, Lord forgive me, everything's back to normal, and then you know, oh, yeah, you know, I I I am I'm, I'm forgiven of the Lord, I repented of the Lord, so you gotta forgive me for XYZ, you gotta forgive me for one, two, three, and then you get the guilt trippers. It doesn't work that way. You still gotta reap what you sow. But it's much easier to turn around from the city and go right back to where one needs to be than it is to be deeper into Deuteronomy 28, where it's like, you know, where the Lord says in verse 68, and the Lord will take you back to Egypt. That's not good. It's much better to be in the city, repent, reap what you sow, and, you know, get right back to where you need to be than it is to straight up be in Deuteronomy 28, verse 68, where the Lord says, you know, now you're going back to Egypt. Bondage. Not good. And so at the same time, in understanding this and how the Lord works in this framework of His Word, which is above His name, the name of Jesus, understand that the Lord teaches us. And even in chastisement, the Lord cares for us. The Lord cares for His people as any father would. You know, a dad, a parent says, "You know, hey, you know, you know, uh, tap tap." When I say spank, I don't mean like beat your kid to a bloody pulp. You know, you know, tap tap. Love taps, double tap. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not double tap. <laughs> a little a little tap tap. Okay, you're grounded. Go to your room. I mean, as they get older, you know, you can't tap tap anymore because you know they'll they'll tap tap back. And some kids nowadays they're big and their tap taps hurt. So you know, when they're young, teach them. To listen to to parents, to teach the kids, being obedient to parents. Remember the millstone too, not to provoke a child to anger. You know, we studied that several weeks ago in our study in the New Testament, not to provoke a child to anger, but so that the child can understand. Get the tap, tap, go to your room. You know, and then the kid's in his room, and kid's in her room. It's like, okay, you know, you're not going to start, you know, you're grounded for a month and you're not going to eat for a month. No, you know, go to your room and, you know, dinner will be ready in, in 30 minutes. Dinner will be ready in, in an hour. And all of a sudden, kid comes out, eats. Kid comes out, you know, it's raining outside. It's cold outside. The kid has shelter. Has heat. Has blankets is cared for by the parent. Yes, disciplined by the parent, but cared for by the parent. How much more our Father in heaven, hallowed be His name. And so we see this in verse 7. And when you come to this place, and and when you came to this place, Sihon king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan came out against us to battle and we conquered them this is from our study in numbers 21 if you've been walking with us for a while we see it in numbers 21 and it's also where the serpent was lifted up you know you know as moses lifted up as the serpent was lifted up so too shall the son of man be lifted very interesting In verse 8, we took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites and the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh. Remember, we studied this where, you know, they came to Moses and says, Moses, you know, let us, you know, let's stay over here. You know, it's good land for us. Let us stay over here. Moses says, "Okay." I mean, he he checked with the Lord. I love that so much when you see Moses check with the Lord. People come to him. Hey, Moses, you know, we want to do this. We want to do this. He's like, okay, hold on. Let me pray. And he seeks the face of the Lord. The Lord tells him and he says, okay. He says, okay, you guys can stay here, but you're going to go to war with us. This isn't, you can't get out of war. This isn't where you can stay here and do your flock and, you know, kind of, you know, uh, get get out of your responsibility to fight. Everybody fights. So they were able to stay. God told Moses, okay, it's okay. They can stay. But they still got to fight. I love that so much. Can't get out of the fight. Don't get out of the fight. Don't seek to get out of the fight. That's, that's part of our our, our 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 walk as Christians. Remember we have the, the helmet, the breastplate, the shield, the sword. Don't try to get out of the fight. Understand that the fight is comes to us, especially even more so in these last days. We studied the book of Acts and how many times do you hear us reference how beautiful a defensive posture is but What about the offense to go on offense? Never forget your fishing pole. And so we see here in verse 9. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. See, knowing isn't everything. Knowledge is a gift of the Spirit, but knowledge isn't everything. Knowledge isn't even the greatest gift. Listen to our study in 1 Corinthians 13. It's not the greatest gift. And knowledge is a gift of the Spirit. But knowledge isn't everything. Now comes, okay, now you got to do it. You have knowledge of the Word of God? Okay, do it. Okay, you have knowledge of the Word of God and you're doing it? Okay, keep it. It's not to boast and say, wow, look, I have the knowledge of the Word of God. But that's for you, not for me. That's not good. That's hypocrisy. Pastors, teachers, that's hypocrisy, something the Lord doesn't like. See? So you have knowledge of the Word of God, and then comes the doing aspect. And it's not just, okay, I'm going to do this for a year. I'm going to do this for five years. I'm going to do this for ten years. And after ten years, I'm going to go back to sex and uh, crack and... Gambling and the strippers and all these things and do all this, do all that, and the Buddha and the lying and all the... No, that's not keeping. That is not keeping. You see? The Lord never changes. And I don't mean to sound harsh in saying these things. But there are very harsh realities of... Not saying these things. Very harsh realities of not teaching these things so that we together can understand. The Lord never changes. Remember, these things were written for our admonition. That's what Paul says. A student of Gamaliel, Pharisee of Pharisees, former Pharisee of Pharisees, Verse 9, we see, therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. Have you ever seen people, seen sometimes people, they boast in knowledge. Sometimes they're pastors, elders. They've gone to so-called seminary, so-called Bible college. Oh, I have all this knowledge of the Bible. Oh, I know the Bible like the back of my hand. I know the Bible like this. I know the Bible like that. I know way more than you. That's scary to, to anybody who makes such boasts. That's scary. You know why? Because now you're held to account. It's better for the person who doesn't know. Because that person who, who, who doesn't know is held to a smaller account. But for the person who knows, now they're without excuse. Oh, I boast, I know the Bible like the back of my hand. I've been to seminary, I've been to Bible college, and I know this and I know that. And look, you don't know anything about the Bible. Look, I'm going to go ahead and do my sex, drugs, alcohol, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. But don't come at me with that because I know the Bible like the back of my hand. Woe is such person, W-O-E. Woe is such a soul. Not good for that person. Because now they're without excuse. Sometimes younger Christians—I mean, could be kids—but I speak younger in the faith. Could be like a thirty-year-old who's just become a believer, a forty-year-old who just become a believer. And if that's you and you're listening, and you know, don't feel bad because you don't know the Bible. You might know a very little parts of the Bible. It's beautiful. Obey. What you know of of the Word of God, and then you grow, you mature, and we do this together. We grow and mature together. And as you grow, as you mature, and as the Spirit gives the knowledge of the Word of God, now you have more to be obedient to. It's the same a a two-year-old child. A two-year-old child is held to a less strict account than a 20-year-old. Why? Because a 20 year old has had plenty of time to learn. A 15 year old, plenty of time to learn. But a 2 year old? A little 5 year old spills a glass of water. A 5 year old spills a cup of water. No big deal. You know, look, you gotta, let me teach you, baby girl, let me teach you how to be steady. Hold it like this. You don't fill it to the tippy top, fill it, you know, just a little bit because, you know, the spills, they're unstable, they walk and shake and all these things. Baby girl's got to learn to be stable. Learning, you know, the mobility, muscle mobility and all these things. So many things to learn. Then as she grows, as she matures, okay, now you can fill it up to the tippy top. And what's so cool is as you get older, you know, then you're going to start spilling again. (laughs) It's beautiful. I love it. Because as we age... You know, you might need diapers again. You're going to need like, you know, you're going to drool again. You're going to have the shakes again. You're not going to be stable again. And it's like, wow, you know, talk to old people and old people are like, wow, you see that as a good thing. Yes, I see it as a beautiful thing. You know why? Because it's in those moments where the Lord humbles us. I mean, he can humble us in all kinds of different scenarios. But for the older generation, which... Humanly speaking, a heart has a propensity to get harder and harder and harder. And so the Lord has created in this system we call the human body where we start to gain in dependence as we age. It's like, wow, you know, I need help to go to the bathroom. I need help to I can't fill up my coffee cup to the very tippy to the very brim anymore because I'm unstable. So I got to, you know, half a cup. And it's beautiful because as the heart can grow hard through these dependencies, the Lord can humble a heart so that old people can receive Jesus, to have humility to receive Jesus. Some people say old people is one of the hardest outreaches, but I don't see that. Old people, it's very difficult because their hearts are set in stone. No, not really. Maybe at age 40, age 50, your heart can be set in stone. But then at age 60, when, you know, ailments start to set in and set in heavy. 70, 80. Now they need diapers. 90. Now they can't walk anymore. A hundred. All the things they can't do. It's like, wow, you know, the heart gets hard. Yes, 40, 50, 60. But then all of a sudden, through these dependencies of the body... All of a sudden, it's like, wow, you know what? I'm dependent on this person for that. I'm dependent on this person for that and this. I'm so dependent. And then all of a sudden, an old guy can look up and see the Lord and realize and recognize his need or her need for the Lord God Almighty. It's beautiful how the Lord has put all these things to work. Just like in in verse 6. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or similar drink that you may know that I am the Lord your God. All these things that the Lord withholds to show people, to show us our need for Him. Old Testament, New Testament, that's what He does. It's powerful, it's beautiful. The loving nature of our Lord. I don't want to see the loving nature, but it's just straight up love. God is love. And so all of a sudden we see here in verse, uh, nine, therefore keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. You see? And, you know, understand that, you know, even, even in Knowing and doing and keeping, it becomes deeper and deeper and deeper with understanding. You see? And even in the Old Testament, we see a picture through this concept of a narrow road. Narrow is the way. In Old Testament, New Testament, you see a remnant. verse 10, All of you stand today before the Lord your God, your leaders and your tribes and your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones and your wives, also the stranger, foreigner or Gentile. Remember, the Gentiles are grafted in who believe Gentiles who believe in the God of Israel are grafted in, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob grafted in. You know, you hear us give the example from time to time. If we go back to our time machine again, you and me were Canaanites. And all of a sudden we're just strung out on, you know, all these different gods. And yet we see, we, we know like, wow, there's these people in the wilderness. We thought that Egypt was like, you know, we thought that Pharaoh was God on earth. We thought he was God on earth and man, he had such a mighty army. And wow, these were mighty people. But these nomads that we see in the wilderness, they call themselves the Israelites. Their God, he destroyed Egypt. What does that say of us as Canaanites? You see? Then we have a choice to make. You know, we have the, the Baals, the Asterisks, the Moleks, but we say, you know what? We're done. No more. Those gods, they're nothing compared to the God of Israel. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, we're jumping ship. We're jumping ship from Canaan. We're jumping ship from, you know, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. We're jumping ship. And we're joining the camp of Israel. Now, in the law, Israel, they don't say, in the law, they don't say, okay, you know, you're not one of us. You're, 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 you're Canaanites, so get out of here. You're, uh, Hittites, so we're gonna kill you. No, in the law. It is written when we tell when we approach and, you know, we're probably going to be get met with some warriors because, you know, they don't know who we are. And then we say, look, we're we're denouncing these gods of Canaan, the Hittites, the Hivites. We're denouncing these gods and we believe in your God. And we came to worship him. We want to worship the God of Israel. Now, it's in the law. that says, don't kill them. Graft them in. Now they're one of you. You see? That's powerful. And we see here in verse 11, your little ones and your wives, also the stranger who is in your camp, from the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws your water, that you may enter into covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God makes with you today. Remember, Horeb, but don't forget Moab. Don't forget Moab. Verse 13, that he may establish you today as a people for himself and that he may be God to you. I love this so much that he may be God to you. You know why? I'm reminded of Jacob. Jacob, how when he would refer to the Lord, he would always say the God of my fathers, the God of my father. He would always say the God of my father, the God of my father. And in the course of time, In the course of time, through experience, he referred to the Lord as my God. And he had a little wrestling match with the Lord too, which I don't advocate. The Lord, you know, hurt him. His leg was out of socket. His hip was kind of, you know, hip displacement. And the Lord says, okay, now your name is being changed. You are no longer Jacob. You are Israel, governed by God. It's so powerful because, you know, when we consider the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's like, okay, yeah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, okay. But let's bring it home even closer. At what point does a person say, He is my God. Yes, he's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. But he's my God. Let's bring it closer to home. For my young brothers and sisters whom I love, you might be 10 years old, 15 years old, 16, 18, and you're, you know, living with your parents. If you're somewhat liberal, you might be like 30 living with your parents. Not good. 22 living with parents. Not good. There's this mindset that that can enter the younger generation. Oh, you know, the Jesus of my mom, the Jesus of my dad. You know, you're 13 years old and you just go to church because dad says get in the car or else if you don't, you're toast. Mom says, you know, get in the car and if you don't, you're toast. So the 11 year old gets in the car, the 12 year old gets in the car, you know, honoring mom and dad, which is good. Remember, we're not talking about the physical aspect of of things, not with carnal eyes. We're we're talking about the straight up heart. Why does mom and dad, why do they want you to go to church? Now, assuming the formula is right now, if mom and dad dad say, let's go to church because we're going to go grave soaking, you know, you're point man at home. You know, you're 10 years old, you're point man. You're you're a 13-year-old girl. You're, you know, point point man. I say point man, but, you know, if you're liberal, say point person. You take point in that home. Why? Because mom and dad are crazy. Mom and dad want to go grave soaking. You take point, 13-year-old. You take point, 9-year-old. Because you know that, wow, that another Jesus wants me to go grave soaking. So, mom and dad, you know, I love you, but, you know, I don't want to go to that church because this is what they teach. And... Open a little Bible study to your parents, you know? Not like lording over them. In no way, shape, or form lording over them. Being respectful. But like, look, this is what the Bible says. This guy wants to go grave soaking, but the Bible says that's necromancy. And I have to be obedient to the Bible. Mom and dad, do you not want to be obedient? You see, all of a sudden, mom and dad can realize like, oh my goodness, we were crazy. And they can repent. Exit Laodicea. Jump ship from the grave soakers. And come back into the real. The real Jesus. Whose word is above his name. So when I say, you know, kids, you know, you go to church because your parents want you to go to church. And, you know, this is all assuming the formula is right. No grain soakers. No mark of the beast people. Now. If that's you, you're a child. 13 and I've had these conversations with young kids, and you know, yeah, I just come to church because mom and dad said get in the car. Okay, I get it, completely understandable. But let's let's boil things down. Let's get down to the meat and potatoes of things. It's not you know, let's just come to church so we can you know sing kumbaya. Not come to church so we can you know have a nice social club and all this. There's. Koinonia, Ecclesia, Episunagage. It's deep. If you've been walking with us for a while, you can make that distinction because we see it in our study in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament too, but in the church age, we see it in the church. What happens when church becomes a social club? Well, that's when you get in the 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3 type, a bunch of milk drinkers, which milk is good, but milk is for babies. We've got to mature. The spiritual... Pork chops and ribeyes. You see? And that comes through maturity and growing in Christ. And I love in verse 13 that he may establish you today as a people for himself, that he may be God to you. You see, it, it boils down deeper. All the camp of Israel is hearing old man Moses speak these things and how do the word remember the the voice the words of moses go in little earholes what happens then Well, we reference that quite a bit in luke 8 the seed is the word of god and we're going to see when we when we close up deuteronomy and all of a sudden we start reading what happens to this generation That enters the promised land. And not just that generation, but their kids, the grandkids. They're going to grow up and we're going to see them appoint kings and priests are going to be. And you're going to see obedience and disobedience. You're going to see beautiful, beautiful obedience. You're going to see people that not just fear the Lord, but they love the Lord. They trust in the Lord. They hope in the Lord. You're going to see that among a remnant. You're going to see the opposite. Waywardness. Even wickedness. But we're going to know why. And the Lord responds the way he said he would respond. But for my young brothers and sisters, you go to church because mom and dad say go get in the car. It's much deeper than just, you know, it's not a social club. It's much deeper. It's God's relationship with you. Because one day you're going to leave home. You know, 18 years old, leave home. You're going to leave home and you got the whole world ahead of you for my young brothers and sisters in Christ. you got the whole world ahead of you. And if if your mentality today is, you know, the God of my mom, the God of my dad, the Jesus of my mom, the Jesus of my dad, and you're like 13, 14, 15, 16, the world will chew you up. The world will mess you up, but when the Lord is your God, when Jesus Christ is yours, personal, when He is yours and you are His, that's that's bliss. I don't. Know, I don't know the words. I'm not. I don't. I'm not. I don't have a huge vocabulary. All I know is that it's it's bliss. And I tell you from experience, so for my young brothers and sisters, yes, you know, respect your parents, be obedient to parents. Understand the formula's got to be right in parents. You know, dad's a crack addict. Don't be, you know, respect and you know, honor him as your as your father, but as your dad. But you know, don't don't don't. He says, oh, you know, go to the corner and buy me some crack. You know, no pops, ain't happening. Why? Because you 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 align to Jesus. You see. Mom goes in crazy to, you know, hey, get in the car. We're going to go grave soaking. Sorry. I'll get in the car because, you know, you want me to, but I'm going to stay in the car. I'm going to read my Bible. A real Bible study. I'm not going grave soaking. See? we have to be wise in these last days. Even for the younger generation. Sometimes parents, you know, the older, older folks... They think of kids as, all oh, you guys are just mere kids. You know, what, what do you know? You're just a kid. Are you kidding me? Do you know what school is like? Do you know what it's like among peers? Straight up sex, drugs, alcohol among 13-year-olds, even younger, eight-year-olds who are learning about pornography, 10-year-olds learning about pornography, and you want to denigrate a child and say, oh, what do you know? You're just a kid. No, kids need to be trained up. Four years old, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, states that are implementing sex education to five-year-olds. And their brand of sex education is not the biblical. Kids need to be trained up, five years old, six years old, seven, eight. Because the way kids talk nowadays, ten-year-olds who know about pornography, eight-year-olds who know about pornography, drugs, homes that are destroyed. Moms that are on their, you know, third marriage. Dads that are extinct, that are not extinct, but non existent. Virtually extinct. And these are, these are their peers. These are the peers of the younger generation. You have a 10 year old son, 10 year old daughter. You're going to have him hang out with his or her friends without armor. Without a helmet, the breastplate, the shield, the sword, and without a fishing pole? Don't forget the millstone, parents. For my younger brothers and sisters, 10-year-old, 13, 15, even younger, I don't know. Just like verse 13 says, that he may be God to you personal. Personal. You and Jesus, Jesus and you, inseparable. He says in verse 13, just as he has spoken to you, and just as he has sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I love how it's written, may I mean, it's not like a blanket statement, like like in verse uh, 4, you know, the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to to see and ears to hear to this very day. It's not like, okay, we're Israelites, boom, we have eyes to see. We're Israelites, so boom, we understand. We're Israelites, so, you know, boom, we have, you know, ears to hear. No, it takes time. It's a, a process. I don't like saying process, but it's a process nonetheless. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. I mean, you see a guy get stoned as a result of the law, the law was broken and you see the the law at work and you see a guy get stoned, you learn the fear of the Lord quickly. I'm not advocating stoning. There's only one person who's qualified to stone and that's Jesus, son of the most high. He's the only one that's biblically qualified to cast any stone and he doesn't cast stones. Yet, he will judge, but not yet. Mercy and grace. You see? Remember, Israel goes to war. Israel goes to battle. The, 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 the first thing in the battle strategy is this offer of peace. Remember, we said it's written in the law. You go to war, but okay, look, we're warriors. We're deadly. But this first offering is peace. You know, do you want peace? Somebody says, okay, we want peace. We don't want to mess with you because we know that, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We don't want to mess with you. But the formula is not right in the camp of Israel. And they they lose battles. And we're going to see it in the Old Testament. And it's not a blanket statement here. Like, okay, you have eyes to see. You're, You're Israelites. Okay, boom. You have eyes to see and ears to hear. And you have, you have this perception and understanding. No, it takes time. Remember the example, you know, we get in the time machine and the example two tents. It's almost identical with carnal eyes. Everything happens exactly the same. You got the animal sacrifice offering. Everything happens in accordance to the law. And with carnal eyes, we see it and it's like, okay, everything's fine and dandy. Everything's taken care of, but is it really? No, in one tent, yes, because they have the fear of the Lord. And in time, they're going to learn the, the 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 trust in the Lord and to love the Lord. Deep. In time. And they're going to teach it to their kids. Hopefully, this one incident is the only incident in that whole lineage. They're on a good track. But to the other ten, they're just going through the motions. Not good. And the Lord sees. The Lord knows. And we see like in verse... Thirteen, verse twelve, even that you may that you may enter, in verse thirteen that he may establish, and also in verse thirteen that he may be God to you. I love that because it's like okay, balls in your court. The Lord lay, lays it out. His word is set forth. He uses his vessels and he sets it forth. Here in, in the Torah, it's Moses. Largely Moses, but the, you know, the Lord brought forth elders. Balls in your court. It's not to say that he doesn't want to be their God. No, he absolutely does. I mean, look at where we are so far. I mean, look at look at Egypt. Look at now. I mean, when you look at Egypt and promised land, it's like, how could the Lord not want to be their God? Of course he does. But the question is, do the people want him as Lord? I mean, I'm married. I'm married. I, I didn't go to my wife and say, you know, hey, before we married, I didn't say like, you know, hey, get in the car. You're going to be my wife. No, I asked. I wanted her to be my wife. But I said, you know, will you marry me? Ball's in her court. She could have said, no, you don't go fly kite. She could have. But she didn't. See? Ball's in her court. Will you marry me? Ball's in her court. I wanted her to be my wife. She she could have, you know, I don't want you as a husband. She could have said that. But no, she didn't. But that very same concept. The Lord wants to be our God. He desires to be our God. But the ball's in our court. The word is for it. The ball's in our court. You know, I like to think, you know, will you believe in Jesus? I like to think of it as a deeper question. Will you marry me? Straight up. Will you marry me? Jesus, remember that's very forward-looking because the church is the bride of Christ, but even referring to the church as the bride is very forward-looking. You know why? Because the marriage hasn't happened yet. Wise virgins, pre-marriage. And then all of a sudden, you know, we say, will you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Now, I hope the answer is in the affirmative for all of us and that it stays that way for all of us until our last breath. But when you boil it down even deeper, will you marry me? Ball's in our court. I said yes, and I say yes. Ball's in your court. He doesn't make robots. He doesn't make subjects. I'm not a Calvinist, or I'm not reformed theory. Ball's in your court. Will you marry me? And then all of a sudden he say, yes, Lord. Son of the Most High, yes, I will. Now comes fidelity unto Him. I mean, what 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 woman do you know was, you know, a guy says, will you marry me? And all of a sudden the girl says, okay, yes, I'll marry you. And then the guy says, okay, uh, you know, I, I, I got to go to work. And the girl gets, you know, all these boyfriends and goes, boyfriend here, boyfriend number one, boyfriend number two, boyfriend number three. You know the guy's gonna be like, I don't want you for a wife. No, the wife says, okay, yes, I'll marry you. The guy says, okay, I gotta go to work, and you know the lady says, okay, I'll stay faithful, and the guy says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm faithful. Everything's on the up and up, and in the course of time, you know, there's the, you know, the, the, they the, 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 the become one, and the marriage. Beautiful. I don't get why all of a sudden, you know, people believe in Jesus Christ and all of a sudden they feel like they have license to do all kinds of different things. Oh yeah, once saved, always saved. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I did the altar call when I was 10 years old. So what if I go to the strippers? So what if I I go to the prostitutes and the gambling? So what if I go to the Buddhas? Do the Ouija boards and the alcohol and the crack? doesn't work that way. Is to stay faithful unto the Lord, fidelity unto Him, just like we see in in uh, in, in 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 verse, uh, you know, to, to in verse nine. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them to be hearers, not be hearers of the word only, but to be hearers and doers of the word. You see, just staying faithful, and these are things that we're going to see as we get further into the events of the last days. These are things that we're going to see fall away. Christians, people who believe in Jesus Christ, but they're going to fall away. Apostasy. Start believing other gods. Start believing other religions while calling themselves Christians. In some cases, they're going to leave Christianity, which we're seeing, you know, today it's called, you know, some people refer to it as the evangelical movement former Christian one of many signs of the times and we're going to see in the last days that exact example that I gave where the husband says will you the guy says will you marry me and the girl says okay I'm gonna marry you but I also got you know guy number one guy number two three four five six you know whatever and I don't mean to sound carnal in saying that But how much worse is it, the defection away from truth, when we understand the depths of apostasy, which is prophesied to happen? One of many signs of the times, a defection away from truth, apostasy. As a result of not having love for the truth. All kinds of doctrines that are entering the church. All kinds of doctrine, all people being tossed to and fro by all winds of doctrine. You see, the false teachers come in, the preacher guys come in. Oh, look, he's got his degree. Look, he's got his master's. Oh, look, he with the seminary. That's nice. What is he teaching? Remember when Paul says in 2 Corinthians, I'm afraid for you because you're going to put up with it. The preacher guy comes in. With another spirit, another Jesus, and another gospel. Not the gospel that is written, captured in the word of God, the logos. You see? It's beautiful because, I mean, not that that part is sad, but I mean, it's beautiful because we see here that the Lord desires to be our God. But even in his desire, balls in our court. Yes, Lord, you want me, I want you. You see, I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not Reformed theory. Oh, God predestined us to heaven. God predestines people to heaven. God predestines people to hell. That's Calvinism. I don't believe that. It's not biblical. Listen to our study, Biblical Predestination. You'll understand more. Predestination is a biblical truth, but there are caveats to that. I mean, to give a brief example, a predetermined destination. You land on a plane, you, you get in a plane, you land in a foreign city. You, you're feeding for a hamburger. You you're, you're desperately want a hamburger, except you have no idea where the burger joint is. So what do you do? You get on your phone and you type in, Best burger in, you know, wherever you are. Best burger in town. You hit the, you know, whatever button. Boom, it pops up on the map. It says that it is five miles away. So, you know, you you get in a rental car. you, you, you It tells you you're at the airport. You've landed. And you have predetermined your destination. That burger joint is predestined. Now, in that burger joint being predestined, predetermined destination, now you have to obey. Say, so you, you know, you're going to eat a lot of calories, so you want to burn a lot of calories. So you, you walk it. A five-mile walk. Burn calories so you can eat calories. You have to listen to exactly what, what the GPS says. Turn left here, turn right here. Go here, go there. You got to listen to... Every exact instruction, and you have to follow every exact instruction. Five miles later, boom, burger. But if you're at the airport and it says, okay, the burger joint's in five miles, and then you start walking aimlessly, not even listening, not even abiding, not even turning left when it says turn left, not even turning right when you're just walking aimlessly. And then you walk for five miles, you're exactly five miles away from where you started. You're not going to be at the burger joint. You will not be at the burger joint. Predestination is a biblical truth, but there are caveats. Listen, obey. You see? Look at verse 14. I make this covenant and, and I make this covenant. Remember, Horeb, but don't forget Moab. I make this covenant and this oath. Not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not with us, who is not here with us today. Very interesting. Very interesting. Now, we're kind of spoiled. You know, some people have the little references in the Bible, you know, references to certain passages in Jeremiah and Acts. And so, what is this? What? A covenant? But in verse 14, a covenant, but also an oath? But it's not with this second generation alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not with us here today? Not with you alone? What is happening here? Turn with me really quick to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. And Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah all ten tribes, or all twelve tribes, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, we see verse 31, that, Behold, the days are, are coming, says the Lord God, when I will make a new covenant. So, from verse 31, we know that at some point in the future, from this point, according to the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, and other prophets, but we're just looking at Jeremiah, according to the Old Testament prophet, Jeremiah, that a new covenant would come. A new covenant. Keep that in mind. For my Jewish friends, my rabbi friends, my Talmudic friends whom I love, all of whom I love, Jeremiah the prophet in the Old Testament Testifies that days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. That's the flesh. In the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. So now we refer to Torah. The law of Torah. My covenant, which they broke. Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Though I was a husband to them, he says. And the prophet Jeremiah is referring to a covenant that is not this initial covenant. I shouldn't say initial, but the law that was given after Egypt. We know that at some point a new covenant is coming. In verse 33, But this is the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. See, it's much deeper. It's not just going through the motions. It's not just like, okay, I committed a sin. So, okay, here's my turtle dove and got this better one over here. But that's my prized possession. And here's my turtle dove. Okay, I'm going to make this offering. Okay, I committed this egregious sin. So... I'm going to take this lamb and not this good one. I'm going to take this mangy one. And okay, go through the motions and this and that. Okay, I'm good to go. You know, two days later, okay, I'm good to go. Everything's atoned for. I'm good to go. No, it's much deeper. It's not going through the motion. Remember, the Lord sees the heart. The Lord... Remember, Eli was the priest. Kohanim. Eli was the priest and in those days there was... No, no wide revelation from the Lord. The Lord was silent in those days. Why was he silent? When in accordance to the law, the Lord would speak to the high priest, except why was there silence? You see? He had the priestly garb. He played the parts. Everything with human eyes, with carnal eyes. Everything looked like he was fine and dandy. But is it fine and dandy? No. But the Lord spoke to little Samuel. You see? You got adult Eli. Little kid Samuel. Who heard from the Lord? Little Samuel. But the priest, he's got the garb, he's got the role, he's playing the part. That's the problem. He's playing a part. Hypocrites, Being an actor. Playing a role. With little Samuel, real, deeper. verse 33, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Very interesting. Remember the May that we saw in Deuteronomy? That I may be their God. That I may be your God. And here it's more Definitive. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. But this is a new covenant. Verse 31, this is a new covenant. For From this moment, I mean, if we're just looking at Jeremiah only, there's more prophets. We're just looking at Jeremiah. But from this moment, verse 31, we know that in accordance to the law, in accordance to this covenant of the law, there is a new covenant that is coming very interesting for my Jewish friends whom I love. Turn with me really quick to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. We see here in verse 24, for I will take Take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Whoa, very interesting. Looks like Israel got herself in a little bind, but it happens. I'm not making excuse. But that's what happens when focus goes away from the Lord. Old Testament and New Testament, that's what happens. When focus, when eyes go on anything outside of the Lord, we tend to get ourselves dirty. You see? It happens. I'm not making excuse, but it happens. Now we see, wow, the people need to be clean. Okay? The Word of God gives us the means. He teaches us. He's given us, given us The blueprints on how a soul becomes clean before him. He's shown us. Yes, we see the Old Testament and the the covenant and the law of Moses. Yes, we see that. But in accordance to the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, a new covenant is coming. We see here in verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. See, remember you hear us from time to time make mention of rock and pine and maple and balsa and jello. We want jello. Hearts to be as soft as possible. Not stone. That's not good. Pine, not good. Maple, not good. Balsa, better, but still not good. We want straight up jello hearts. Nice and soft. How is it that in the Old Testament, we have the the law of Moses, Torah, but then at the same time, we see reference, not just reference. Remember, remember the law of, a process by which a soul can learn to love the Lord and hope in the Lord. Because in the law and through the law. See, say we go back in time and we witness a stoning, which is heavy. I meant like a stone. I mean, a stone hits the shoulder and that's going to hurt. A stone hits, you know, a forehead and that's going to hurt. It's not like a little rock. These are like straight up like bricks that, meant, that you have to have your hand open wide to hold. A hand hits a forehead. That hurts. A hand hits the jaw, you know, teeth fall out. I'm not advocating violence. I'm not saying, okay, let's start stoning. But that's scary. That's scary. That's when the fear of the Lord becomes a learned thing. Now, biblically, there is no one, no one biblically qualified to cast any stones. No one. No, not one. There is only Christ. And he casts no stones. Yet, he will judge. But not yet. Remember, mercy, grace, first. We want our hearts to be yellow. Nice and soft. He says in verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. Wow, so we have Jeremiah speaking about a new covenant. We see Ezekiel speaking about a new spirit that is the spirit of the Lord. And we see again in verse 28, you shall be my people and I will be your God. Not may. Deuteronomy, we see may, that I may be your God. But Jeremiah, we see I will be your God. Ezekiel, we see I will be your God and you shall be my people. Turn with me to Matthew 26 now. Matthew 26. And in Matthew 26, Verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Remember Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29, verse six. No bread, no wine. Back then in Deuteronomy, no bread, no wine. But now there's this person will say, and he said, took, he took bread, he blessed it and broke it and said, give it, he gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. Verse 27, then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. Remember Deuteronomy 29, verse 6, no bread, no wine. And yet, here we see bread and wine. Very interesting from this person who has arisen in the midst. And verse 28, For this is my blood of the new covenant. Whoa. Whoa. For this is my blood of the new covenant remember deuteronomy 29 verse 6 we see no 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 bread no wine in jeremiah 31 remember that we knew, we know that a covenant is coming Jeremiah the prophet of the Old Testament we know that a new covenant is coming and now We see this person present bread and wine. Something that Deuteronomy 29 says, no bread, no wine. And this same individual says, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Whoa. Behold, I say, behold The Lamb of God. For my Jewish friends. Whom I love. Rabbis. Whom I love. Talmudic teachers. Whom I love. The law points to Christ. The law points to Jesus. There is only one. There is only one that can even fulfill these very things. And is the very one whom I testify to you today. Verse 29, we see, But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. A future event which is coming. Turn with me really quick to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 29. This is Brother Peter, beautiful Peter. And he says here Men and brethren in verse 29, Acts chapter 2, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. David. A type of Christ, but not the Christ. A type of Messiah, but not the Messiah. And Brother Peter says, let me speak to you freely, frankly, about the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us today. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with him and had sworn God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, 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 according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ. That his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. This is Peter's. He saw this with his eyes, with his own very eyes, and he testifies. I'm just the messenger. Verse 33. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise. Of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend. Look at David, just like we see in, in verse 29, David, patriarch, yes. Prophet, yes, verse 30. But he's dead and buried. Verse 29, he's dead and buried. Verse 34, David didn't ascend. David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, The Lord said to my Lord. How is it that David says this? He's, he was the king. A type of Messiah, but not the Messiah. Because the Lord said to my Lord, he says in verse 34, in other words, the Father says to the Son, God the Father says to Jesus, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all, 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 let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, a lot of times people come down on the Jews, say, oh, you crucified Christ, you crucified Christ, willfully forgetting that Rome played a part. Both Jew and Gentile. Don't forget. You have this rise of anti-Semitism in these last days, which is one of many signs of the times. Both Lord and Christ. God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. Both Lord and Messiah. Verse 37 Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? They said to Peter. I love what Peter did not say. He didn't say, kiss my ring on my finger. Kiss the ring on my finger. In accordance to the teachings of Rome, Roman Catholicism. No, Roman Catholicism is unbiblical. Catholicism is unbiblical. They present another Jesus. It is not the Jesus of the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible do you see Jesus saying, you know, hey, everybody, you're going to be in purgatory. And, you know, when you die, you're going to go to purgatory. And you who are alive, pray to Mary to rescue your dead relatives from purgatory so that she can bring your dead relatives to me. You don't see that in the Bible. Therefore, it gets thrown in the trash. False doctrine. Another Christ, another spirit, another gospel. You see? That's another Jesus. It is not the Jesus of the Bible whose word is above his name. It is one of many fakes. One of many imposters. Peter doesn't say, the ring on my finger, kiss it. That's how you're saved. And I am the rock. Nope. You don't see that. You see it in certain doctrines of men, but it's doctrines of men. That's all it is. Doctrines of men with a very shady past and a very bad future. The Bible warns about the seven hills. For my Jewish friends, I love you. I understand there is plenty, plenty room, ample space for you to be very cautious with Christians. But put Christians in air quotes because biblical Christians, biblical Christians want you to know this. These people here in verse 37 who were cut to the heart, they say, Peter, what do we do? In verse 38, then Peter said to them, Repent, and let everyone, every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, being saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And I pray that souls will be added right here, right now. If you're Jewish, you're listening, and you want to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, hit pause and listen to the message How to Commit Your Life to Christ, and you commit your life to Christ. The Messiah, Son of the Most High. You're Catholic, Reformed, and you want to receive the real Jesus? Do the same. You're not a believer? Do the same. We're living in the last days. This door of mercy and grace, it's not going to be open forever. The church age is coming to a close. Let's look at John chapter 5, really quick. John chapter 5, verse 39 the pharisees you know they the pharisees the the religious leaders of those days they all oh, were hardcore we follow moses in john 5 verse 39 you search the scriptures jesus says you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life which if that, how could it not be that the scriptures do not have eternal life remember it's much deeper It's not surface. Remember, to read, to obey, and to keep. Not surface level. Deep in the heart. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men. But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. Whoa. In the law, what's better, to trust in Moses or to trust in God? You trust in Moses? Moses will accuse. You trust in God? Well, trusting in God, there's a narrow path. Look at our references to Jeremiah. Ezekiel. Trusting in God is, be- trusting in God through the law. Yes, it's beautiful because it leads to Christ. Remember Jeremiah the prophet. A new covenant is coming. Ezekiel, the spirit of the Lord will be inside of such a soul. Not God may be that, that, that God, that, that they may be gods. But the Lord says, I will be their God and they will be my people. Verse 46, he says, For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? That's heavy. But when you study the scriptures, you know that, yes, this covenant was put into place in in Horeb, but never forget Moab. The covenant was put in place in Horeb the, for the third time. Remember, verbally rejected. Two tablets, first two tablets, rejected. Second two tablets, accepted, but not without blood. Sacrifice. See? When you consider Horeb, Sinai, Horeb, never, ever, 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 ever forget Moab. Never. Because now it's covenant and oath. And you know that this covenant, which is put into place in our studies in Deuteronomy, that in the course of time, in this, as, as this fear of the Lord and trust in the Lord and love of the Lord and hope in the Lord as it passes through generation across generation, The promises of the Lord come to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah straight up says, you know, thus saith the Lord. A new covenant is coming. So from that moment, just looking at Jeremiah alone, from that moment, we know that a new covenant is coming from Jeremiah's day. A new covenant is coming. Now, fearing the Lord, loving the Lord, trusting in the Lord, and hoping in the Lord... A person who knows the scriptures, understands the scriptures, and has this beautiful formula that in the course of time can understand like, okay, a seed is coming. A new covenant is coming. And a seed not in accordance to the law, but a seed in accordance to the promise to Abraham pre-law, before the law. Remember, the law was added because of sin, of transgression. That's why the law was added. The promise to Abraham is still in effect today. The law was added until the seed. And now the seed is here. And this seed, in his earthly form, grew into a man. And while in his earthly ministry, where bread and wine was withheld in deuteronomy 29 verse 6 all of a sudden bread and wine is given in a new covenant this is the new covenant in my blood boom the fulfillment of what jeremiah prophesied about a new covenant is coming you see the fulfillment of the law the law of moses which points to christ Now you understand Jesus Christ when he says, for if you he's speaking to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the ones who should have known. Oh, we believe Moses, we're hardcore. Jesus says, if you really believe Moses, you say you believe Moses. But if you really believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? See? To my Jewish friends whom I love, the law is holy. I mean, listen to our study through Galatians. The law is absolutely holy, but there is greater holy greater holiness in what the law points to. There is glory in the law, but there is greater glory in what the law points to. And it points to Christ, Jesus Christ, son of the most high. As the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so too shall the son of man be lifted up. Fulfillment of the law, the seed of, the law was added until the seed it's not to it's not to denigrate the law because the law is holy but the law was not made for a righteous person there's purpose to the law you see it brings people to christ both Jew and Gentile let's go back to Deuteronomy 29 And in Deuteronomy 29, let's look at verse 14. I make this covenant and this oath not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. Very interesting. So we see this covenant with God. But then there's these two hymns. Deuteronomy 29, we see this covenant with God. verse 14, he says, not with you alone. Verse 15, he says, with him. at the first part. And at the end, he says, with him again. So you see a covenant with God. You see another with him. And then you see another with him. Elohim, my friend. The triune nature of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Yes, Horeb is beautiful. Never ever forget Moab. You know why? Because if you look at the map and you put a pin in Horeb and you go north to Moab and you got, you know, a couple tribes on one side and then on the other side you have more tribes. What does that show? The cross. The cross. Everything points to Christ. The law points to Christ. From Horeb, Sinai. From Horeb to Moab. Group on one side, group on the other side. It's the cross. You see why Jesus says Moses wrote of me. The Pharisees, in those days, when Jesus says, you know, how can can you believe Moses? Moses wrote about me. Because, remember, in verse 4, it's not just like, boom, you have eyes to see, and boom, you have ears to hear, and boom, you can understand. No, it's a learned thing. The prophets... They longed to, for the, the times, the, the times of, to see Christ, they longed for that. The days that we live in today, in these last days, they longed for these moments. The return of Christ. It takes time to understand these things. The fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom and in the fear to learn to trust in the Lord which leads to learning to love the Lord deeper and deeper and deeper and then you get to Jeremiah and Jeremiah says a new covenant is coming you know thus saith the Lord a new covenant is coming it's like whoa we have this covenant but a new covenant is coming we've already learned to fear the Lord trust in the Lord and love the Lord and now we have this hope in the Lord of this new covenant and then we get to Ezekiel it's like whoa a new spirit and not you that That you may be my people, but God says you will be my people and I will be your God. What is this? What is this new covenant? What is this new spirit? And then boom, we get to Matthew. The seed arrives. And the law was added. Because of transgression, until the seed, it points to Christ. Horeb, beautiful. Sinai, beautiful. Go north to Moab. Couple tribes over here. Several tribes on one side, several tribes on the other side. And what do we see? The cross. The narrow path. The narrow is the way. And yet, to those with ears, To those with eyes, there is understanding, which comes from the Lord, encapsulated in His Word. But eyes and ears are required. Verse 16, Deuteronomy 29. Verse 16, For you know that we dwell in the land of Egypt, and that we came through the nations which you passed by, And you saw their abominations and their idols, which were among them wood and stone and silver and gold, so that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, and that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood, translates as gall or poison and a curse. Remember, when Jesus tasted gall, he refused it. Matthew twenty-seven, verse thirty-four. Do likewise, in honoring the Lord, that there may not be among you a root-bearing bitterness or wor- wormwood. Wor- wormwood, wor- wormwood, verse nineteen, and so it may not and so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart. Very interesting. Now, notice, self-blessings are not from the Lord. Self-blessings are not from the Lord, saying, he says in verse 19, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart. Remember, the heart is desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. We we see this today. People who behave wickedly and it calling themselves blessed. Oh, I'm going to do my crack. I'm going to do my drugs. I'm going to do my sex. I'm going to do my Buddha. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to say these little white lies. Oh, we're blessed of the Lord. Self-blessings are not from the Lord. Blessings come from the Lord. But self-blessings, that's not the Lord. And we're going to see this in the Old Testament. People, People doing <clears throat> excuse me, all kinds of wickedness. But we don't have to reserve these very things to the Word of God only because we see it today. We're going to see how God responds in the Old Testament. But we're going to know why He responds the way He does because these things are encapsulated in His Word. He's just doing what He said He would. And you're going to see the same thing today. People doing, living in all kinds of wickedness, saying, "Oh yes, we're blessed of the Lord. We're blessed of the Lord. We're of the elect. We're of the elect. We are predestined." But so, wait a second. Let's let's analyze the formula. That's what Jesus says. Look at the fruit. We see in verse nineteen when he hears the words of this curse, that he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, even though I follow the dictates of my heart, as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. The Lord teaches us the very concept, the very blueprint of remnant. We're going to see remnants in the Old Testament. We're going to see remnants in homes in the Old Testament. We see remnant in Corinth. Remember, you see The whole church in Corinth. And Paul, you know, who was informed by Chloe, says, okay. You guys are milk drinkers? Okay. Kind of like a quasi, come out of her, my people. Separate from these works of the flesh. Not even to eat with such a person. Separate. Come out of her, my people. Okay, now we have this remnant. Now let's get to work. Let's get everybody cleaned up. And this is how we get cleaned up. We study the word. The washing of the word of God. You see? And then to grow and mature from there. To leave milk. But even today. We have the biblical formula, Old Testament, New Testament. And how the the Lord teaches us the concept of the remnant. And we're going to see people in the Old Testament. Oh, we're blessed. You know, oh, I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. And look, I shall have peace. Look, if the formula is wrong, you're not going to have peace. You might have a manufactured semblance of peace. But it's not the peace of the Lord. The peace of the Lord surpasses understanding. Have you ever seen people say, oh, look, I'm so blessed. I have the peace of the Lord. I have the peace of the Lord. And then like on Friday night, they're drunk. It's like, what? I thought you said you had the peace of the Lord. Oh, yeah, I just, you know, take a little edge off, you know. No formula. Oh, it's, you see a formula, but it's wicked. It's not biblical. I mean, it's biblical in terms of the bad aspect. What not to, to, to do. We're going to see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament, and we see it today. Nothing new under the sun. Oh, you know, hey, son, I know you got a beard. I know you got these big muscles, but, you know, go tell the lady that you're 10 years old so we can get some chick tickets, free tickets to Disneyland. You know, kids get in free. Kids fly free. I know you got a beard. I know you got these muscles, but, you know, go tell them that you're 10 years old. Hey, daughter, you know, go tell them that you're 10 years old. Get these, you know, kids fly free. Oh, what's that, daughter? You want to do Ouija board? Oh, no big deal. See, Oh, we're blessed of the Lord. Come on, let's go to church, guys. Look, we're blessed of the Lord. Look, let's study this book called Crazy Love. Let's go, you know, at one with the grave soakers. Let's read this, you know, take the mark of the beast, you'll be saved. Oh, let's read these coalition books God has done with Israel. Oh, look, we're good to go. Look, we're, we're of the elect. Look, we love the Lord. We're so blessed. There's a specific formula. Narrow is the way. Old Testament, New Testament. Narrow is the way. You know, the Lord doesn't want this to happen. But yet it does. You know, balls in their court. Balls in people's courts. Balls in our courts. We have a choice to make. He doesn't make robots. I'm not a Calvinist. I don't teach robotic Christianity. I teach the Word of God. We have to make a choice. Verse 19 says, so that it may not happen. The Lord doesn't want this to happen. A person blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, even though I follow the dictates of my heart, as though the drunkard could could, could be included with the sober. The Lord will not spare him. You see, though a person may think that he's okay, that's not how God works. God is very specific to His formula, and He just responds the way He says He would respond. See, I'm I'm just the messenger. Remember, just like the people in Peter's day, who were cut to the heart. You know, what do we do? What Peter did not say, you know, kiss the ring, you know, kiss my ring. I am I am the rock, you know, and the. <clears throat> the Lord has established his church with me and I am the rock and, you know, here, kiss this ring and go worship Mary. No, that's a, that's another spirit that says that. And a little side note, you not to get off topic, but a little side note, the Pope, the Pope recently announced a, a year of Jubilee. The year 2025 is the year of Jubilee is to restore a, a climate of hope and trust as a, A prelude to renewal and rebirth and the promotion of new evangelization. You see? To bring millions of pilgrims from all over the world to Rome. Very interesting days that we're living in. As a little side note, meanwhile, we see the expansion of Magog. The expansion of Magog. The increase of power of Both Gog and Magog. I mean, Afghanistan, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, Russia. Alliances with Russia, China, Iran. For such a time as this, look at all these things that are coming into convergence, and meanwhile, you have the Pope. Who's saying? oh yes, you know, years of jubilee, we're in the time of jubilee. So that Christians, we can be together with all our brothers and sisters. You see? Catechism of Catholicism says that righteousness comes through Abraham. No. Complete exclusion of Jesus Christ. The inclusion of Muslims in the plan of salvation based on Abrahamic. Belief, belief in Abraham. If righteousness could come through Abraham, then Jesus Christ died in vain. That's if, if righteousness comes through Abraham. Biblically speaking, it comes through Christ and through Christ alone. What does that say of Rome? I say unto you, beware of the seven hills. Harlotry comes out of Rome. People call the Pope the Vicar of Christ. I call him the Vicar of Antichrist. For such a time as this, we also see in Convergence this confederation of Arab countries in league with Israel. Growing in popularity. Accepted and lauded by the United Nations For such a time as this In this jubilee that the Pope is lauding To care for creation Which quote is our common home Very interesting that the Pope won't ever speak of paradise as home He speaks of this world as home The Bible prophesies a beast from the earth For such a time as this to those who have ears. You see? There's these new laws coming into play. Western countries. United Nations that are aligned with the UN. And these new laws that are coming into play is to be against like uh, pornography and child trafficking and sex trafficking. Which I'm in agreement with. But... What these laws are also including is anything that comes against a person's belief system. So say, for example, we study the word of God and we study certain passages that are against lifestyles that do not align with the word of God. Well, if that makes a person feel bad. Now you have these tech companies that have liability. And so these tech companies, it's already started, but they're shutting things down. Pastors. Pastors, a word of warning, exhortation, have plans in place for face-to-face only. No more online. Face-to-face only. Have plans in place, if not implemented already, to go underground. The last days, church. The last days, saints. Very perilous. The Bible says perilous times for a reason. And look at the church, the church is asleep. Let's continue. Verse 20, the Lord will not spare him. Now, see, the, the Lord doesn't want these things to happen where a person says, oh, look, I'm blessed of the Lord. and Meanwhile, you know, not living in accordance with the Lord. In order to be blessed of the Lord, you have to be very specific to the formula. You see? Verse 20, the Lord will not spare him. I mean, you know, like he says at the end of verse... 19 as though the drunkard could be included with the sober the lord would not spare him for the anger of the lord and his jealousy would be would burn against that man and every curse that is written in his book would in this book would settle on him and the lord would blot out his name from under heaven whoa you know regarding the book of life names understand that names can enter and names can exit Names can enter the book of life and names can exit the book of life. How does it happen? Well, the Lord is very specific. In both cases, you choose. You choose to repent and receive Jesus Christ. Okay, boom. Name in the book of life. Now comes obedience. Now that a name is in the book of life. Now the name has to stay in the book of life. How does the, how does the name stay in the book of life? Obedience. You see? The biblical formula is not once saved, always saved. The biblical formula is once saved, stay saved. And that happens through obedience. You see, oh that's works-based. No, it isn't. It's obedience-based. You choose balls in your court, balls in our court. We're in the same boat. In verse 21, and the Lord would separate from him, the Lord would separate him from all the tribes of Israel. Now we see, why? For adversity according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in the book of the law. Last week's study, chapter 28, that was difficult. Because I I, I like, when we study the word together, I like all of us to, to have that blessing of the Lord. But it's not always the case. The blessings of the Lord aren't always the case. Blessings of the Lord are a byproduct of obedience. I don't want to say byproduct, but they're a result of obedience. And so we see in verse 22. So that the coming generation of your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land would say, When they see the plagues of the land and the sickness which the Lord has laid on it, the whole land is brimstone, salt and burning. It is not sown, nor does it bear nor does any grass grow there like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Admah and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and his wrath. Whoa. This is serious. Very serious. You say, wait a second. I'm so glad that we don't, that, you know, you know that we're new covenant believers because, wow, this is scary times to read these parts in Deuteronomy. This is scary times. Hold the phone there, my friend. Turn, it through, turn with me really quick to Matthew 11. Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verse 20. This is Jesus. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because, remember the Lord is reactionary, because they did not repent. This is what he says. Verse 21. Woe to you, Korazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. See. If those very works, if those very works were done in Tyre and Sidon, he says, of them, Ball would have been in their court and they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But these are cities in verse 20 who refused to repent. They did not repent. It says a lot about how a generation can change. And that's what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. Remember, the Lord saved Egypt. The famine came and the Lord saved Egypt through Joseph. But then the Lord judged Egypt. Wow, did did the Lord change his mind? No. Egypt changed their heart in forgetting the Lord. Let me see in verse 22. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, what we just referenced in Deuteronomy 29. You say, whoa, you know, I'm I'm, I'm glad we're of the new covenant only and not of these, these, these the, the old covenant. But the Lord Jesus Christ references Sodom. If these very things, these mighty works had been done in Sodom, It would have remained to this day. They would have repented. In verse twenty-four, but I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Whoa, that's heavy. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Seventy weeks are decreed. But then there's this gap In the seventieth week. There's this gap. It's referred to as the church age, the age of grace. But the Bible says it will come to a close. The Bible teaches that the church age, this day of grace, these times of grace, it will come to a close. He gives indicators of all these things that will come to pass. And we're living in a time that these very things which were prophesied, Old Testament, New Testament, Major prophets, minor prophets. Apostles. Messengers of the Lord. We're living in a time where these things are not just coming to pass. Yes, coming to pass. But converging together. One on top of the other. For such a time as this. Learn to make bread. Store your oil. Because lamps are already going out, but lamps will go out. A famine of the word of God. You see? Pastors, be wise. Be wise. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 29. In closing. In verse 24, all nations would say, Why has the Lord done so to this land? What does the heat of this great anger mean? Very valid question. Very valid question. In these days, when judgment of the Lord would come, a very valid question indeed, but in the last days when God's judgment comes, when the church age comes to a close, when the door of Grace and mercy closes. It's too late. It's too late. Verse 25, then people would say, because, remember, the Lord is reactionary, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord, God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt, for they went and served other gods and worshiped them, gods that they did not know and that he had not given them. You see, idolatry. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against this land to bring it in every curse that is written in this book. Remember, chapter 28 in our study, the Lord is just, he's just doing what he said he would do. That's it. He's just doing what he said he would do in accordance to his word. Nobody needed to be surprised. Even though many will be surprised. Many will be shocked. I mean, look look how fast the world can change. On a dime, the world can change. Look at Russia and Ukraine. On a dime, the world can change. Look, look at Afghanistan. On a dime, the world can change. Look at Canada. I mean, like how Canada, they're shutting down bank accounts. On a dime, the world can change. Look at the past two years under the coronavirus mandates. Look at how quickly the whole globe, the landscape of the globe can change. In verse 28, And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger in wrath and in great indignation and cast them into another land as it is this day. Now, there is a perceived absence. I'm doing my air quotes. There is a perceived absence of the Lord. But it is an absence. Remember, in, in, when we read like about Eli and Samuel, there was no widespread revelation in those days. The Lord was silent in those days. People said, well, why is the Lord? He's absent. He's absent. No, he's not. Who is there who could speak to? Who is there who could speak through? The law says he he would speak through Eli. But why wasn't the Lord speaking to Eli? You see? The Lord isn't absent. You don't see the wind. But you see the grass bend. Eyes to see, ears to hear, Required. If the blind follow the blind, then both will fall into a ditch. It is written. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. The Logos, the word became flesh. The Logos has always been a mystery. It's revealed today in Jesus and told By his messengers. Just like our study in Colossians. Yes, it's a mystery. But it's not a mystery to everyone. Paul lays it forward. Lays it out. Peter lays it out to a certain degree. Because even Peter says, you know, listen. These things are difficult to understand. But the Lord is using Paul. And so listen to Paul. James lays it out. It's not a mystery to James. James is a messenger. He lays it out. It's not a mystery to John. John lays it out. It's not a mystery to Jude. Jude lays it out. In obedience to the Lord. His messengers. Let us be wise to the times. And also redeeming the times. As we studied. Just on Sunday. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.